Welcome to church. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity, and we are uh, so happy to have you here in the house of God this morning. Um, I guess you didn't get swept away in all the rain yesterday, or you wouldn't be here, so we're glad you are here. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, we're going to read verses uh, 14 to 5 in chapter 4. Paul says this to Timothy, his son. Paul, writing from prison, says this to his spiritual son, Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient and equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, we ask you today for the grace of God to help us to hear our brother Paul. We pray, God, that you would give us the peace of the Holy Spirit to be present in this room. And God, to hear the heart of a man writing to a spiritual son. And through those words that Paul wrote from prison shortly before his death, roughly 2,000 years ago, I pray, Holy Spirit, that we would hear your words to us. God, this is not just a, a static document, a historical piece. This is living and breathing. So Holy Spirit, speak to us today about our faith, our life, where we are, and help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I answered a, a call of from the Lord uh, when I was relatively young. And because of that, Timothy and Paul's letters to Timothy have always meant a great deal to me because I remember being um, in high school and having a, a dramatic and powerful encounter with God. Uh, the Lord changed my life at um, 15 years of age. I was a, a child of hippie parents, grew up in a world where my mom and dad did not follow the Lord. And my mom had a dramatic encounter with God when I was little. My dad, not until about age 15, uh, he came to know the Lord in a way that for me will always stand out in my heart and in my life as an, a, an apologetic for God because I watched God take my father from a life of addiction and brokenness uh, to a life of surrender and submission in one day. Um, I remember the day and I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Uh, he got up and he came to church with us and it was the first time he'd ever done that. And he went forward at the end of the service and he talked to the preacher and then he came back and he said to us, it's done. I'm, I'm with God now. And he has walked with the Lord every single day since that time. And I discerned a call of God at that, that age, uh, about 15 years old. 
Um, I encountered him and then I started to, to lead Bible studies at my high school. And, um, I was that kid and, <laughs> and we saw these Bible studies just grow with kids who would come out of the woodwork and want to sit before school and open their Bibles and think about being Christians. And it's one of the things that led me down the road into youth ministry and now being a pastor, uh, with you. And so Timothy's words, or Paul's words rather to Timothy, have always meant a lot to me because one of the things that Paul is doing for Timothy is what God did for me. And I think it's what he wants to do for all of us. Paul saw in Timothy a son, a young, vulnerable, tender plant. And he wanted to nurture as much as he could that tender plant so that it would grow. And I believe that when God looks at you and me, he sees tender things, vulnerable things even. He sees the faith inside you that might grow into something really big or it might be knocked off its mark. And the Holy Spirit wants to tend to that. He wants to nurture it. So what you see in Paul's letters to Timothy is sort of the the, the urgent advice of a spiritual father. And we all need spiritual mothers and fathers in our lives. We need people who will tell us urgent and important things. So what I'm going to do today is echoing Paul to Timothy. I'm going to speak to you about ultimate things, about urgently important things that you must listen to if you're going to tend to the vulnerable plant that is your life with God. God wants you to grow up and down. He wants you to be rooted so that you can be fruited. And that requires intentionality. So that's where we're going to go here for the next few moments. The first movement in this passage is that we're invited to live in and experience firm belief. We're invited to be with God rooted in something that does not blow us off the mark. Here's what Paul says. Number one, continue in what you have learned. So how do we have firm belief? We continue on in what we've learned. And this strongly implies that we're meant to be the kinds of people who are always taking in truth, learning new things about God and how to live our life with God. Paul tells Timothy, and I want to tell you because I think the Holy Spirit is speaking this in a very clear way, that we have to actually tend and care for the truths that we have received. You can't just let them go in one ear and out the other. What Paul is saying to Timothy is what the Holy Spirit says to us. He says, I want you to continue. I want you to tend. I want you to take care of. I even want you to protect the truth of God in your heart. The truth of the matter is you and me, we leak. Good things come into us. They also leak out of us. And if we don't tend to those truths, like a tender seed that gets exposed to too much too much sun, too much rain, too much wind, too little nutrient, then the good thing, the growing thing will actually sometimes wither or atrophy. And so St. Paul says to Timothy, his spiritual son, I want you to keep after the things that have taken root in you. And I believe that for us to be a flourishing people, for you to be a flourishing Christian in an increasingly post-Christian world, You have to tend to truth on purpose, which means regular time. It means committed plans of being with God. So I want to ask you this question. How are you currently continuing or tending to what you've learned? Are you doing it on purpose? I believe the Lord wants us to be able to answer questions like that with clarity. 
And this doesn't mean you have to quit your job and become a, a hermit or someone who lives in a mystical way, kind of on top of a mountain somewhere. You can have a real job with a family and friends and hobbies and still tend to your life with God. Increasingly for me, there are three ways where I do this. I have a, a rule of life that involves more, but if you want to get it down to kind of the basic fundamentals, the kind of building blocks of the whole thing for me, one of the primary three ways that I tend to my life with God is through silence and solitude. And if you've got small kids, that means you're going to spend a lot of time in the shower. There was a time where that was the only place where they couldn't get to me. It was in the shower. So I'd go in there and lock the door and like run up the dang water bill. You've got to do what you got to do. It might mean turning off the car. Uh, don't turn off the car. Turn off the radio in the car when you're driving to work. Increasingly, I just find myself, I don't want to listen to commercials. I don't want to listen to people say dumb things to me all the time. And so silence is uh, a gift. Um, I used to think, well, I'm not a contemplative. So silence and solitude, those things are not for me. Like rest, that's for somebody else. I'll rest when I die. I remember kind of rationalizing myself to say, I don't need these things. And then I heard Henry Nouwen say, silence and solitude are the foundations of the Christian life. And then I heard Thomas Merton say the same thing. Then I heard Dallas Willard say the same thing. Then I heard Richard Foster say the same thing. Then I heard Ruth Haley Barton say the same thing. And I began to think maybe silence and solitude are not just for mystics. Maybe they're especially for people who live in cities whose phones are buzzing at them all the time. See, if you're not still, you'll never really know how you're doing. And if you don't put flags in the ground for silence and solitude, and I'm not telling you to shirk your responsibility, I'm telling you to tend to your main responsibility in ways that are quantifiable and demonstrable. We've got to be quiet or we'll never really know what to pray or what to think or how to respond to what's going on around us. Now, now and said in his little book, The Way of the Heart, it's like the most challenging 80-page book ever written, I think. He said that when he first endeavored to be quiet, that it was like monkeys were shaking in the trees at the top of his head. It was like every to-do list that he ever had just came up to him. And you know what this feels like. The minute you decide to be still, it's like all hell breaks loose inside your head. And then we think what? Well, I guess that's just not for me. I once heard somebody say, well, I'm not ever quiet because when I'm quiet, I feel bad. And I identify with that. So what you have to do is take baby steps. And I want to encourage you to put a flag in the ground regarding silence, solitude. Be alone and be quiet, even if it's just for minutes. Secondly, I read and pray, uh, read and, and engage in what's called Lectio Divina, which is a lumened reading. It's an old practice. You can Google it. It's not rocket science. You read and you look and you ask the Holy Spirit for something in what you read to stand out to you. And you trust with childlike faith that God's speaking to you through the Bible. And you know what this feels like. You read and then something kind of jumps off the pages. I interpret that as God speaking to me. I take a kind of childlike trust to say, Lord, you're giving me something. This is why I read the Bible before I read my newsfeed or before I look at Instagram. Because I want to hear what God says before what the world says. And I carry that through my day. And then I pray the prayer of examine every day. So silence, lectio, and examine. And for me, examine five ways to do it, five steps. You have to settle into silence. So two birds with one stone. You thank God for who he is, even if your day has been terrible, even if something 
horrible is going on. You thank God for who he is. It's why Marty's going to make us sing about the goodness of God. Some of you are having a hard time even uttering those words. The Lord wants you to recognize that God is good even if our life is hard. And so we tell God, thank you for who he is. And then we pay attention to places where we've been consoled, where we've been in alignment with God's purpose, and we name those things in the previous day. We thank God for those things. When was I in alignment with you? When did I say no to excess? When did I say yes to an invitation to be present with someone? And we name those things and we thank God for them. And then we look at places where we've been misaligned, places of desolation, places where we said no to the invitation. And finally, we tell the Lord we're sorry and we ask God for grace and for power to live our lives submitted and surrendered to him. Increasingly, for me, the way that I continue and what God has taught me is through silence, through humble, holy reading of the Bible, not for information, but for transformation, and through a prayer of examine that causes me and invites me to reflect on my life. And I would commend those things to you. If you don't know how to be with God, start there. Paul says, continue in what you have learned. You have to continue to build structure into your life regarding what you have learned. The second thing that Paul says is be mindful of who teaches you. And this is a scary thing for a preacher like me to say, but I will say it. You need to be discriminating about who teaches you. Elsewhere, our brother Paul says this regarding teachers. He says, consider the outcome of your teachers' lives. And that's a fancy biblical way of saying, look at the life of the people who are instructing you. Do you want to be like them when you grow up spiritually? Anyone who will hide their life from you, I would say, is probably not worth following. The Lord wants you to be taught. He also wants you to be very discriminating about who teaches you. This is why increasingly I look at a person's substance more than their wit when I desire to be taught from them. That's why I love Pete Scazzaro so much because he's not slick and fancy. He, he like New York's his way through his podcast. He uses filler words and he's speaking profound and fundamental truth that's able to transform your life with God. Um, look for the substance of a woman, a man before you look just for how clever they are. Because there are a lot of clever people in the world. There are a lot of talking heads in the world. Another thing I look for when I look for teachers is are they tethered to a place and to a responsibility? Do they have a vocation? I'm very wary of talking heads. People who just podcast their way through life or blog their way through life. There's nothing wrong with podcasts and blogs, but is that person tethered to a reality? Because reality pressure tests your ideas. When it's just ideas, ideas can just float out into the ether. Paul says to Timothy, the Holy Spirit says to us, be mindful and I don't mind standing in front of you and saying, imitate me as I imitate God. That's not a statement of pride. That's a call that's on every Christian. St. Paul wants all of us to live our lives so that we say, imitate me. Imitate my life, my way of life, my outcome. That's what God wants you to begin to grab onto. But you've got to do this thing with intentionality. You've got to put your money where your mouth is. So we need to be mindful of who teaches us. Thirdly, Paul says, don't forget the things that God accomplished in you or said to you a long time ago. I believe the Lord wants you and me to be the kinds of people who remember. And as I was writing this sermon, 
I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. So I'm just going to be really bold. I believe that there are a number of people in this room who have received things from God in your past. God has spoken things over you about who you were and what you would be and where you would be going. And you have forgotten those things. You've become cynical, maybe even disappointed. And for a number of you in this room, I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to excavate words that he spoke over you in your relative youth, maybe many years ago. And he wants to say to you, I haven't forgotten those callings. Have you forgotten? Sometimes the Lord invites us to come home. And as Paul invites Timothy to remember the investment that Lois and Eunice made in him, that godly women made in his life when he was a baby, which we see in 1 Timothy, he's saying, don't forget who you are and what God has spoken over you in times gone by. We're addicted increasingly addicted to the new and the novel. We're always looking for the next thing. And sometimes we forget the thing God has already said. I would encourage you to begin to be a person who stops and remembers. I want to encourage you to be a person who allows the Holy Spirit to stretch your attention span beyond what's right under your nose so that you become a person increasingly tethered to a really long story. I just want to say the things the Lord wants to do in you are going to take a long time to accomplish. God doesn't work like this. He works over time. And sometimes we go from thing to thing and idea to idea and job to job and relationship to relationship and new trick to new trick. And we never give a thing time to actually bear the fruit the Lord wants it to bear. So for some of us in this room, I believe the Lord would ask us to slow down and learn to remember. Fourthly, Paul says, allow scripture to do what it's meant to do. So do you know how to refrain from being painfully sore when it comes to exercise? Either never exercise or exercise regularly. Like that's how you, um, that's how you avoid acute soreness. Either never do it or do it all the time. So what do you think Paul is exhorting us to do when it comes to spiritual fitness? To never do it? Or to do it all the time. All the time. So next set of slides. We're going to see what is God saying through our brother Paul that scripture is meant to teach us. So just go ahead and put them all up. Scripture is meant to teach you, which we just looked at. That's what it's meant to do. We, we just walked through a little bit of what teaching looks like. It's meant to reprove you or to show you where you've gone wrong. It's meant to correct you and move you toward alignment. And it's meant to train you to grow in righteousness. Now, at least two of those are somewhat uncomfortable. Where have I gone wrong? Correct me. Move me toward alignment. At least two of those feel a little uncomfortable. Maybe three, depending on how teachable you are. Maybe four. <laughs> if you find that you only come to Scripture for comfort and for confirmation, you're probably approaching it with the wrong attitude. If we're unwilling to be challenged we're unwilling to be shaped, if we're unwilling to surrender, if we're unwilling to be confronted occasionally. Reproof, show me where I've gone wrong. The word in the text, reproof, means to, um, to confront. There are times when the scripture confronts me. What the Lord wants us to do is to recognize this is what scripture is meant to do in your life. So if you don't let scripture do this, if you don't either go to scripture like never going to the gym or if you do it in like massive anxious fits of 
frenzy where you try to like get it all in in one afternoon. We won't see these things happening in our life. This is the product of regular interaction and submission to the scripture. You'll be taught. You'll see where you're off and out of alignment. You'll see where you need to be corrected and invited toward alignment. And then you will be trained to grow in righteousness. You'll actually be shaped and taught. So I want you to think about these things regarding your interaction with Scripture. Third set of slides. Let's hear what Paul has to say. He says, it's not just a book that does this for you. We're meant to shape one another. So Paul reminds us that you don't just read in isolation or live your life as a Christian in isolation. You're meant to do this with other Christians. The people around us need us to receive the gift of God. And conversely, we need them if we're to receive everything God has. Without others, you are left to your own devices. You're left to just make up your own mind about things. And Paul here is speaking to Timothy and the Lord to you and me about the freedom that can come in your life when you actually open your life up and make yourself available to other people. But many of us live our lives like this. We, we close our arms and we protect our midsection. We protect our hearts. We try to put walls up to be safe because we've been hurt by people in our lives. And one of the things Paul is saying from prison as his life is about to end is, Timothy, I want you to open yourself up. I want you to allow others in and I want you to be that thing for other people. And he uses a few words that I think speak to the nature of relationships, not just Timothy's ministry, but relationships in general that happen in the family of God. So hear these words, proclaim, say things, be persistent, don't give up, convince, rebuke, encourage, and be patient. I'm going to say them again. Because I believe these are descriptors of what Christian community ought to look like. Proclaim, persistence, convince, rebuke, encourage, and live with patience. Don't rush a thing. These are the things that Paul says, and I believe that these are characteristics of authentic relating. If we only ever say comforting words, if we never challenge one another, then we're allowing ourselves to be less than fully orbed. If we only ever challenge one another and never speak words of encouragement, we're not fully orbed. To be in authentic relationship, do you want to test your relationships? You want to pressure test them a little bit? Try to encourage and challenge. See what happens. Anyone who won't let you do one or the other is not up for full and authentic relationship. But we don't even give it a chance. Y'all, we live in a world where we believe the ultimate good, the way you love someone is just to affirm, unrelentingly affirm, to tell everybody that everything they do is awesome. And I just want to say to you, that is not true. Anyone who's ever parented a child knows that not everything they want to do is awesome. Some of the things we do actually bring harm to us. And when Paul speaks... To Timothy, I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us and he's saying it's time for our relationships to grow up. It's time for us to mature in our way of relating. So where are you? Where do you tend to gravitate in your relating? Are you primarily an encourager? Primarily a challenger? You got to be both. And you got to do both on a regular basis. You got to pay attention to your tendency and ask where the Holy Spirit's asking you to grow. And I would say he's probably asking you to grow where you're not strong. Just a hypothetical, just a guess. (laughs) 
The next thing Paul says, and this is really important in light of this, is beware when your ears itch. And you're probably familiar with this uh, language in the, in the Bible, which is like itching ears are basically ears that crave to hear what they want to hear. And I find some comfort in the fact that our desire to hear uh, particular things and resist other things is not a new problem. So I, I find some comfort in the fact that we're, um, we're like messed up and they were messed up and, you know, we all struggle in this area. Where, where I find it challenging is that it's hard for us to grow in our capacity to listen. And I just want to say a couple of things to you. If you are unable to be challenged, rebuked, trained by either friends or the Bible or God himself, if you seek and crave validation only, it may be time to rethink your way of life. If you only want to be abused in the name of Jesus, told what a wretch you are, what a mess you are, what a worm you are, and you find some sort of comfort in that. Some of us have come from theological traditions that told us that you just need to hear how regularly, how terrible you are. I would say to you that if that's what you crave and you struggle with affirmation and encouragement, then you have to rethink your way of life. God wants us to be the kinds of people who grow in our ability. And I will say, my heart sinks knowing that we're entering a two-year cycle for the upcoming political campaigns. And the reason why my heart sinks is because I believe that we are increasingly unable to listen to or engage with people who do not agree with us all the way down the line. I find that to be abhorrently fragile of us. And I want to call you in this church, whether you sit on the left or right, to not be that way. To learn how to open up your heart to be with people who aren't like you. And one of the things that I believe Paul is telling us to think about is to not just be so fragile that we're only able to be with people who say and think and do all the exact same things and affirm all of our presuppositions. Beware when your ears itch. Don't just listen to teachers theologically that tell you everything you want to hear. My heart Coming into this building, every time I pray is that I want to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. And that should be your job as a Christian. If we only ever soothe and say things that get us a cheap amen as Christians, then we're missing something really important in the heart of God. So beware when your ears itch. And finally, uh, I think that Paul, when he tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist, I would submit to you that the heart of evangelism is learning to spot and engage people who are moving toward you, people who are curious and interested. It does you no good to shout at people who are moving away from you. I would just say, uh, you're more able to engage people who are curious and open. And I just want to say this, um, evangelists, that word evangelism or evangelicals, a word that's under siege these days. You know the word's just a Greek word that means good news? Like it's actually a really good word. Uh, I hate that it's become like some other kind of word. And so the heart of sharing good news is spotting people who are curious and moving toward and leaning into those conversations. Every morning I wake up and say, God, show me people who are open to you. Every morning I ask, Lord, show me who's moving toward you. And recently I was at a store and um, I felt like the Lord um, 
spoke to my heart when I was at the register that this woman was open to the Lord and we didn't know each other at all. And I looked at her and I said, how are you doing today? And it wasn't the Southern, how are you doing? It was like, I waited for an answer and she started crying and she didn't know I was a pastor. It actually would have made it weird if she had known I was a pastor probably because people are less honest with me than they are you. So I just waited because I sensed the Holy Spirit told me she needs to know. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, I just want you to know you're not alone. And Jesus sees you and he loves you. And she just soaked it up like a sponge. I just want to say to you, people love Jesus. It's us they're not so sure about. (laughs) People want Jesus. But the way Christians tend to act when we get in numbers, that's what makes a lot of people feel pretty dang uncomfortable. So I want to challenge you to be open and even curious about where the open doors are for you and begin to engage people who have a sense of openness about them. But that requires that you're looking and asking. And that's our job. It's all of our job. And some of those relationships, we're going to be launching Alpha in January, and it's going to be an amazing time at the Monday Night Garage on the, in the West End to talk about faith and, and to really give people an opportunity. And you may be needing to look between now and then, who are the people in your life that you could invite that would be open to hearing me and Ashley and some of our pastors speak about the Lord in a non-threatening way and give them free beer while we do it. And I believe people are going to come to know Jesus, maybe some of your friends. And he would have used you to be a part of it. Isn't that cool? I think it is. I think heaven longs for us to be open. So if you're able, let's stand together. Thanks so much for listening to the sermon today. My name is Chris McDaniel. I am the pastor here on the west side at Trinity in Atlanta. At Trinity, our mission is to be a people who are growing into Christ's likeness. And if you want to find out more information about Trinity or get connected to the life of the church, please visit us at atltrinity.org. Thanks. God bless.